Well, it's good to be with you, church. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Tyler. I'm the lead pastor here of Outfitter Church, and I'm honored that you came to join us tonight. Uh, we are beginning, if you would, A.V., throw that picture back up on the screen of uh, the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> If you're not familiar, look at this beautiful. We have a guy named Chuck, and he creates like everything that we ever have that looks good. He creates it himself, and this looks so great. Uh, so we're going to be spending the next several weeks throughout going through the Gospel of Mark. Um, and I'm really, really excited about that. I'm, I'm pumped about being able to share what, what the Lord has shown me in this text today. Um, and so if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 20 today. If you do not have a Bible, uh, there are a few Bibles we need to make another order. Praise God, a lot of them have been being taken, um, taken home on purpose. Uh, but on the insides of the rows, there are a hardback book that says Holy Bible on it. That is our gift to you. If you want to know what this church believes, this church believes, I wondered why it was so stinking loud in my ear. Um, if you want to know what this church believes, we believe what God has written and what God has inspired. Inspired, and that is the Bible. And so we stand on that. It is a firm foundation for our souls. And so if you don't have a Bible, we want you to take one because if at any point anyone behind this pulpit preaches something that doesn't line up with the Bible, then you let us know because uh, we'll fire them, okay? Um, no, please don't fire me. But if I don't preach the Bible, please do. Um, so that's our gift to you. Please take that. If not, uh, look on your phone. We have it on the screens as well. Um, before we read, though, I, I want to say as we begin the book of Mark, the sermon series is called the Gospel of Mark, but I keep saying turn to the book of Mark, so let me explain that. The first four books of the Bible are known as the Gospels, okay? So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Gospel is a Greek word that means good news. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of the good news of Jesus Christ, about his life, about his ministry, about his death, burial, and resurrection, and about his atonement for our sins. For those who are repent and believe. And so that's what I mean whenever I say we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. It's one of the first four books of the New Testament that is describing the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus Christ uh, and the, the good news that he brings, the Gospel. Okay. Now, Mark specifically, me and Mark would have been friends. Mark is an action-packed kind of guy. He doesn't even talk about Jesus' birth. He doesn't talk about his early years. Nope. He immediately starts with Jesus beginning his ministry. And so what you'll see is when we start reading, Mark literally kicks the door down. He's like, sup, let me tell you about a guy named Jesus. And so it's action-packed. And what you'll read throughout this entire passage that we're going to preach today is he says immediately, 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 and then, and then, and then. So, so Mark is all about what did Jesus do? And what is the significance of it? And so as we begin this, this several month journey through the book of Mark, we are going to be analyzing the word of God. This is what did Jesus do and what is the significance? And so let me pray and then we're going to read verses 1 through 20 of Mark chapter 1. Father, we come to you tonight drawn by your spirit 
through faith in your son. Jesus, we ask, or God, we ask that you would open our minds, open our hearts, give us the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand the word which you have inspired to written to us. And God, may at the end of this sermon, may we treasure Christ and what he has done for us all the more. God, my prayer is that you would strengthen your church tonight, and that if there's someone in here tonight that does not know you as Savior, that they would respond to the King's calling to come and follow you. Help us to hear your word, and help me, Father, to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Read with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. <clears throat> John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. <coughs> John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed one who is more powerful than I. He proclaimed one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, the heavens meaning the skies. So the skies and the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. After Verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Verse 16, as he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. You ready for the door kicking down? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as is uh, written, or as is, yeah, as is written in Isaiah the prophet. He's doing two things, action-packed mark, okay? The first thing, he kicks down the door. 
He's writing to Jewish readers, the Jewish audience, under Roman rule. So it's Jewish people who live under the Roman authority. They're well acquainted with Roman rule, Roman leaders, Roman uh, all things. It is very well known in that time that, that Roman emperors would have called themselves divine. And if they had referring to their sons, they would say, son of the divine. Now, specifically, there were some very powerful Roman emperors uh, or Roman leaders, Augustus, Tiberius, Nero, and they would be referred to as, as this whole, like, they would be referred to as divine. They would call their sons son of God. Talk about the arrogance that they thought they were so powerful that their children were the son of God. And so Mark, knowing very well who he's writing to and that they would have understand this, he said, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Immediately, he's subverting the Roman culture. So he shoves a, a right hook across the face of the Roman government, and he says, you think you have a Son of God? Let me introduce to you the beginning of the good news of the real Son of God. So he, he is throwing a shot across the bow to the Roman government and to the Roman authority. And then the next verse he says, as is written in Isaiah the prophet writing now to the Jews who, and he's saying, the prophet Isaiah, his name was Isaiah. He was a prophet of God. He, he spoke to the people of God on behalf of God about 700 years before this was written. Or actually before Jesus was born. And so Mark in one fell swoop, I'm, I'm telling you, he kicks the door down. He says, Romans, this is the son of God. Jews, He's the one you've been waiting for. He says, you want to see power? I'll show you power. You want to see the one who's been promised? I'll show you the one who's been promised. Isaiah, the prophet of God, he wrote 700 years before this that the Messiah was going to come, that there was going to be the voice of someone in the wilderness proclaiming the way of the Lord, that the Messiah was coming. And so the first thing we see in this passage is that the king has come as promised. We look at this passage and we see that the king has come as promised. Let's continue on and see what this promise is and, and, and what it signifies, okay? So he says, see I am sending, in verse 2, see I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. Verse 3, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. And so it says in verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Check this. The whole Judean countryside is coming to him to be baptized. They're confessing their sins. And all of Israel as well has come to John in the wilderness to be baptized in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, let me explain. This is not, we're, we're hoping to do some baptisms next month, okay? So if you've, if you've repented of your sins and believed the gospel and you've never been baptized, come talk to me because we're going to be doing baptisms next month and we we'll want to see you follow the Lord in baptism, okay? Um, but this is a different baptism. One, Jesus hasn't died yet, okay? Uh, you can't be baptized on behalf of a guy who hasn't died yet. And so this is a very, very likely, this is a Jewish ritual. Uh, baptism is not new with Christianity. 
Christianity. Uh, baptism needs to be immersed in water. And so Jews would have ritual practices, all types of things for cleansing themselves. And so here they are. They're hearing that the Messiah is coming. They're coming out to this prophet speaking about it. And they're saying, I want to be right and ready for the Messiah to come. And so they were baptized in a purification ritual type sense. And they were confessing their sins, saying, I want to get right with God before God sends the Messiah so that I can see him and follow him. Okay? So, so this isn't like the whole like, hey, I just gave my life to Jesus. I'm going to be baptized. So it's different. Okay? And this is important because um, Jesus gets baptized in the next passage. Okay? So it was important for me to just recognize that this is not the same thing that we do here on Wednesday nights when people repent and believe the gospel. Okay? <clears throat> but something super significant is happening here. Okay, where are they? We're going to do some... Anytime I'm saying this, I'm not speaking down to our church. I'm just recognizing that the majority of the people in our church are reading the Bible for the first time ever. And so we're, we're learning Bible reading skills. Context is really important. That means what's happening around the situation. What words is he repeating? Where is John the Baptist? He's in the wilderness. What river are they in? The Jordan River. Who has come to him? All Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem. Church, do you want to know the last time that all of Jerusalem was in the wilderness standing at the Jordan River? Great, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. In the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, the people of God had been in slavery to a nation called Egypt, and they were enslaved to the Egyptians, and God sets them free, and they go into the wilderness for 40 years because they were silly, and we have kids here, right? They were dumb, but they were dumb. They got themselves in trouble. God punished them for their sins, had to wander in the wilderness. And then when it was time for them to move in, they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land to be a new nation, a new people of God. Do you want to know who their leader was? Their leader's name was Joshua. Do you want to know Jesus' name in Hebrew? Jesus is the Greek uh, pronunciation of his name. Jesus, right? Jesus. His Hebrew name is Yehoshua, Joshua. The last time that the nation of Israel was in the wilderness at the Jordan River was when God was leading them out of the wilderness into the promised land, creating in them a new nation, a new people of God with their own identity. But that Joshua died and they turned their backs on the Lord. And so the new Joshua has come and he is going to lead them out of the wilderness through the Jordan River into a new kingdom that he himself is establishing. And because he is God himself, his kingdom won't end. He won't die and allow people to turn away. He is the new Joshua, the Jehoshua, who's coming to lead the nation of God. This time, though, it's not just for Jews. It's for all those who are far off as well. Because there was a time where only Jews were a part of the covenant people of God. Now, there were some people that made it in because God is gracious. But this time, this new kingdom 
Jesus comes. The king has come as promised. And what is he going to do? He's going to set us free from the wilderness. We're going to go through the Jordan River and go into the promised land, the new kingdom, the new people of God that he is creating in himself. The king has come as promised. Verse 7, we continue on. Oh, let me back up. We'll keep going, come back to it. Verse 7. He proclaimed, this is John the Baptist still, he proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. And I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so the king has come as promised, but what is the king going to do? Give me just a second. I feel so far from you guys. Okay. Verse 9, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him so we, we saw that the king has come as promised but what does the king do the king goes down into the Jordan River to be baptized by John again uh, the other gospels Mark or Matthew uh, Luke Describe, I believe, that he's about 30 years old when this takes place. 30 years old was often a time in Jewish practice and culture that 30 years you, you are officially a man, you're on your own. So he begins his ministry at a cultural time where it would be appropriate for him to do so, and he does it in a way that a Jewish ritual would have approved. He comes and he's baptized, preparing for the ministry that God has for him. We already have seen, I'm going to get to this more later, but Isaiah prophesied that someone would pave the way. There's a divine call and then a divine response. John the Baptist proclaimed the way. Now Jesus has come because he was prophesied about. There was a divine call and now we see the divine response. Jesus has come. Okay? So what does he do? He goes and gets baptized, knows something's different. I'm, 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 I was reminded of this. Now, I, I, I read through this, and I wrote my own notes, and then I grabbed a commentary on the book of Mark. It's written by a guy named Abraham Kuravilla. Okay, so if you, if you want to grab that, I, I don't have any secrets. The Lord reveals things to me through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that you have as I prepare to preach. Okay? There's also wiser brothers and sisters that have written about this book, and I'm learning from them as well. There's no secrets here. Uh, some of this content is from the commentary as I studied about this passage so that I could feed our church with the Word of God. Okay, so it's a great commentary. It's called Mark by Abraham Caravilla. Well, it's amazing. You notice the Bible is really intentional in what it says. It says that all Jerusalem and Judea countryside went in, they were baptized, and they what? They confessed their sins. Jesus is baptized. Does he confess his sins? No. 
because he has no sins to confess. Again, proving that the king, God himself, has come. He has no sins to confess, therefore he's baptized, he comes up, and then you see this incredible, magnificent scene. The skies, it says, torn open. Again, Mark is action-packed. So the skies rip apart, and the Holy Spirit, not in a dove, it says like a dove, like a dove, so gracefully comes down from the heavens, and it descends upon Jesus. Okay, this is, Jesus didn't get saved, he's God. Okay, but just as the Holy Spirit empowered John the Baptist's ministry, the Holy Spirit is now empowered. Jesus Christ's ministry on earth. And so this is amazing, right? So you've got God the Son, the Holy Spirit comes down, and then who speaks? God the Father. This is my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. And so this is an absolutely amazing moment for the life of Christ because he is being ritually purified for the ministry. The Holy Spirit comes down upon him and God the Father speaks over him. Fathers, this is a side note. We've got, fathers, men, we've got to start getting better about using our words to publicly praise and affirm those that we love in our lives, okay? It's a total side note. If God did it for his son, we ought to do it for our sons. I'm saying, okay, done. That's off. Now, Jesus the Son comes out out of the water. God the Holy Spirit comes down on top of him, descends upon him, empowering his ministry. God the Father speaks. This is a phenomenal text that helps us understand the Trinity. Okay, the Trinity is a phrase that means we believe that God is one and three in one. And so there is one God, and that one God is expressed in three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you really want a headache, think about that. Okay? I'm not saying it's easy with sinful broken minds and sinful broken language to explain the perfect God, Trinity, but I'm saying we must do it. Now, let me, let me think of a way, or let me just share with you a way. This is a book that we use in our home. We've talked about Deuteronomy chapter 6. Teach your children and, and anyone that God puts in your life when you rise up, when you lay down, when you walk by the way, and when you're in your home. Okay, so we have a prank. We're trying to talk about God uh, when we get up in the mornings, when we're in the house, when we're driving around, and when we go to bed. We want to incorporate Christ. Sing about Him, talk to Him, pray to Him, right? That's what we talked about. Sing about Him, read about Him, sing, uh, pray to Him. That's what we said. This book is called Truth and Grace Memory Book by Thomas Askell. The reason I'm telling you about that is that if you have children in your home, it's a phenomenal discipleship tool. If you're an adult and you don't have any children in the home, there's all kinds of catechisms. Look them up. I, th I talked about catechisms several months ago, and I heard feedback said, isn't that a Catholic thing? <laughs> yes. It's also a Presbyterian thing, but catechism in and of itself is neutral, okay? Catechism means it's a series of questions and answers helping teach true, true doctrine about the Bible, about God. Why am I saying all this? Because catechism has been like kicked out as it's super boring. But if I said, what's 5 times 5, you'd say 25. If I said, what's 7 times 7, you'd say 49. Why? Because at some point in time, someone forced you to memorize it. It's okay to force people to memorize the truth. Okay? People say you're indoctrinating your children. Yes, I am, because the truth is worth passing down. And so was, what's amazing is my little girl, she's three years old, and if, if, hang out at my house anytime. Ask Gage. He's seen me sin a lot. He's in my house a lot. Okay? I'm not a perfect parent, but we're trying really hard to disciple our children, to pass this on. And so I asked my daughter the other day, are there more than one gods? And she goes, there's only one. I said, and how many persons does that God exist? She looked at me like, what did you just say to me? I'm like, I know it's a confusing question. How many persons does God exist? And she said, three. 
Where is she? It's the bathroom, okay. So she said, three. And I said, great. What are their names? And she says, Father, Son, Spirit. And I was like, Dad, come it, that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I love it. And so, man, I, I'm telling you, if you've got kids in your home and they're young, Truth and Grace Memory Book 1, there's, there's three of them, um, or just Google catechisms, okay? A lot of them are like really, really wordy and stuff, but... Find a way that you can pass down doctrine to your children. My three-year-old has the same understanding of the Trinity that I have, at least in words, okay? And my prayer is that we could create that foundation, and then when she's old, she'll still have it. Anyways, that, that was another sidebar, but I just got so excited about that. But we see the Trinity here. So we've seen that, that John the Baptist, he came preparing the way. He was empowered by the Spirit. And he proclaimed the way. He said, the king is coming. And then the king comes. And the king, we see that he's the new Joshua. He's going to lead the people of Israel and all the people that have been created who repent and believe in faith in Jesus. He's going to lead them out of the wilderness, through the Jordan, into this new kingdom that he is creating. So we saw John the Baptist. We see what Jesus does. He comes, he's baptized. He doesn't confess sins because he's God. Then the Holy Spirit descends upon him, empowering his future ministry. God the Father speaks over him. And now what happens next? Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He begins his ministry. And the first thing that happens is he goes through hard times. One could even say, maybe being face-to-face -face with Satan himself, he goes through hell. I know there's some of you in this room <laughs> that uh, <laughs> maybe God's doing some things in your life, and you've really taken some steps in your faith, and as soon as you take that step, boom, you're hit with uh, trials and tribulations. Great. So was Jesus. That's why he said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is John the Baptist in the power of the Spirit, speaking the words of God, saying that the Spirit's coming. Jesus comes, the Spirit descends on him, and then Jesus promises that when we believe in him, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. We need God's Holy Spirit because it's what is the fuel in our engines to make us go for the Lord. And so church, let me say to you, if you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. He's given to you to empower you in this following of him. Jesus went through the wilderness face to face with Satan. And when it says the wild beast, most likely it's demons. And the Holy Spirit was there and the angels were there. And guess who won? Jesus, and praise God for that. Amen. So the king has come as promised, and the king, the second thing we see, the king has been proven faithful. So the king has come, and the king has proven faithful, and now what does he do? Oh, let me also, if you're a new believer... And as I thought about that song, Ashley, you sang so beautifully. It's a great song. Thank you for introducing it to us. Spotify, go on Spotify, Outfitter Church Playlist. We add all the new songs that we're doing on there so you can get used to them, okay? But just thinking about that song, God has been so good. As I look around, I see a lot of new faces. I see people who have repented of their sins in the last couple of weeks. 
and began following Jesus. I see people who are doing incredible things in their lives, but I also see that a lot of you are going through the wilderness. You're in the hard times. Just as you're going through the hard times, so did your Savior. And I love this. Hold on, but even when you lose grip, guess what? He's still holding on to you. Keep going. Keep going. He's given you His Holy Spirit, and He's going to get you there. I'm getting ahead of myself in this dang sermon. Look at verse 14. So the king has come as promised. The king has proven faithful. What's next? After John was arrested, verse 14, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is the message. Church, we don't have another message. I talked with a brother today, and I said with him, I don't have anything to help you with other than the gospel. Because that can change everything. We don't have any other thing. You can't help your coworkers with anything else but the gospel. You can't help your friends with anything but the gospel. You can't help your neighbor with anything but the gospel. What do I mean? You can give them a nice home, warm meals, good clothes, and when they die and go to hell, it will mean nothing. I'm not saying don't do those things, but it's nothing without the gospel. This is Jesus' first message. It must be our message always as well. Repent. Or says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. God has come to you. Now, turn from your sins and believe the good news. So this is Jesus' message. Verse 16, as he passed along the sea of, alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. Verse 17, you ready? Follow me. Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left the nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So the king has come as promised. The king has proven faithful, and now we see the king is calling for us to follow him. So church, what are we to do when Christ calls us to follow him? He goes up to Peter and Andrew, or yeah, Simon, Peter, Peter and Andrew, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. They were literally at work. And he says, follow me. Some of you might be in here right now, and you're like, I'm kind of interested in this whole Jesus thing, but it's a really bad time in my life. I just got promoted, or I just got laid off, or I just, or I just, or I just, or just. Hey, Jesus doesn't always call at the most convenient times. But I promise you, and I'm not trying to scare you, but if you're in hell, you're going to go, man, I had a lot more time to think about that than I thought I did. And so I don't care what inconvenient time you may think this is. If God is calling you to follow him, then follow him. It says that they, they left their nets and followed him. Are you guys picking up on that? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's like taking off all your FR Carhartt stuff, taking off your redhead boots, kick them off, throw away all your gloves, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. Forget this oil rig. 
or, or you're at the desk and you've got your MacBook and you're like, you know what? Let me just flip this $1,500 computer. I'm following Jesus. And he's like, hey, walk away from everything you know. Walk away from your profession and follow me. I'll use those skills for eternity. Then he goes and he says the same thing to these other brothers. And they left their father. Now, they left him with some other workers, but they left their father. They left their livelihood. You want to know what's amazing? What, what, what I learned as I studied this passage, what I learned, especially in this commentary? There was a divine call for John the Baptist to proclaim the way. So divine call, John the Baptist responds, there's a divine response. Then there's a divine consequence. First off, he had to live out in the wilderness in a camel's something. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Not a glamorous lifestyle to proclaim the king of God, or the, the king of kings, the son of God who's coming. Not a luxurious ministry. Okay? And then did you catch in uh, verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus begins his ministry. So there was a call of God on John's life. John responds to that call, and he has a suffering ministry out in the middle of nowhere. And then he's arrested, and subsequently cut, his head is cut off because he was being a man of God. So there's a divine call, a divine response, and a divine consequence in John the Baptist's life. Ready for this? Jesus was prophesied about. He comes... And ultimately, we know what happens. The readers knew what happened to Jesus when they read this. It was written after his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus, there was a divine call that he was prophesied about. He would come. He responds and he comes. He lives a perfect life. And the consequence was he died on the cross, a sinner's death, for us. In this passage, the only person whose consequence is not clear is the disciples who follow him. And so the readers are left to think, what is it going to cost me to follow this king? And church, that's what we're left with today. What will it cost you to follow Jesus? It cost John the Baptist his life. It cost the Son of God his life. You know where I'm going, church. It's going to cost us our lives. We may, not get our, we may not get persecuted and killed, but are we willing to leave our nets? Are we willing to leave behind the thing that is providing for us? Newsflash, your job doesn't pay the bills. God does. He just uses your job to do it. So as I specifically think church, right, if, you're not, if you're in here and you've never turned to follow Jesus before, we'll, we'll talk in just a minute. But for our church... Outfitter Church, you've turned from your sins to follow Jesus. And you have to be faced with the reality, what is it going to cost me to truly follow Him? The cost isn't said. You don't know. So whatever it costs you, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a job, maybe it's your reputation, are you willing to leave it all and follow Christ? What a challenge for us, church. 
what a challenge for us because I believe that, just go with me, okay? This isn't, I'm not trying to write new scripture, but I'm saying that let's just imagine that, that Jesus is standing at the entrance of Barnon or maybe at the entrance of the Casper area and he's saying to our church, he's saying to the Christians in this area, come and follow me and I will teach you how to fish for people in this city. Why do we need to fish for people? John the Baptist was handed over to the authorities and arrested. Jesus begins his ministry. Jesus is handed over to the authorities, arrested and killed, resurrected. Who does he hand the ministry off to? He hands it to those who have chosen to follow him. And when they die, they hand it to those and to those and to those. And 2,000 years later, in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, we have the gospel and it's on its way to somebody else that lives really close to you. What are we willing to give up to follow Jesus? We're not told what our consequence is going to be, but we're still called to follow. And so church, as we begin the series through the gospel of Mark church, are we willing to give up our nets? Are we willing to give up our jobs? Are we willing to give up everything? Are we willing to give up our lives to follow Jesus? I think you are. I think you're ready. I think we all are. I think God's going to do great things. We just have to follow him. And whatever it costs us, whatever we lose, we count it as loss. For we gain Christ. Mm. But maybe you're in here tonight. And you've never turned from your sins to follow Jesus. That's what I want to ask you. You just read, the king came to a pagan authority. He said, I'm, I'm more powerful than you are. To the Jews, he says, I'm the one you've been looking for for hundreds of years. And he proves himself, himself faithful. We can't handle temptation to sin in the weakest form. The moment we were able to sin, we chose to sin. And anytime sin pops its head up, oftentimes we choose to sin again. Do we not? Do we not fail so easily? Jesus, 40 days straight. Satan, face to face. Demons, face to face. He didn't lose. Hasn't he earned your trust, your respect that he can do what you and I can't do? So he comes as he's promised. He proves himself faithful. And now, brother, or not brother, because you're not a part of the family of God yet. Sorry. Friend, neighbor, Christ is calling to you and he's saying, would you come and follow me? Will you give up whatever it is and follow me? And I'll use your life for an eternal purpose. If you want your life to count for eternity. Will you answer the king's call tonight? He begins his ministry there, and we know that he dies about three years later, willingly offering himself on the cross for your sins and for mine. I'm going to ask Ashley to come up as we prepare to sing in response to what we've heard. If you're here tonight... And you would say, I hear Christ calling me to come and follow him, and I'm ready to give it all up. I don't know what my life's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to cost me, but I want to follow Jesus. If that's you tonight, I'm going to ask everyone with heads bowed and eyes closed to simply say that to God. Saying it to God, it's called prayer. 
where you just say to God what is on your heart. So I'm going to repeat some, I'm going to say some truths. Really what it is, is you committing your life to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. If you're not about it, don't say it. If you're not truly going to turn away from your sins and follow him, then don't say this. But if you're ready to answer the king's call, repeat these truths after me. God, you keep your promises. But I've been unfaithful. God, you've proven faithful. But I have fallen short. Today I hear you calling for me to follow you. I lay down my nets. leave certainty behind. Today, Jesus, I follow you. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thanks for raising from the dead. Forgive me, God. Empower me with your Holy Spirit and help me to follow Jesus all my days. In Jesus' name. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, there's a card in your chair and a pen. I want you to put your name on that card. I want you to check the top box that says, I decided to follow Jesus today. We want to talk to you about what it means to throw down your nets and to follow Jesus. I want to teach you how to fish for people and how to let your life count for eternity by God's grace. Now, church, let me pray for you. Father, we come to you so grateful. As the song said, God, you're so good. Jesus, you came. You're going to lead us out of the wilderness of our struggles and our temptations and our sins. And you lead us through the Jordan River and you set us free as a new people, a new creation, a new people of God in the new kingdom, a kingdom of good news. Oh, Jesus, you are so good. We thank you for setting us free. We thank you for leading us to follow you. Now, Father, we ask for, for the, the Holy Spirit to empower us to keep following you, to keep following Jesus. All for your glory, God. And God, I ask that you'd help us to throw a net over all of Bar None. There's 3,000 people here, Lord. We want to catch all of them. There's 60 to 70,000 people in Casper. God, I want you to throw a dadgum net over the whole place. And God, I want to see you bring us together. I want to see us bring us to Christ and help us to follow you. For you created every one of us. You love every one of us. And you sent your son to die for all of us. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to follow you and to be fishers of people around us here. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless us as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen.